Hello, and welcome to Today in STEM, as we discuss what's new in the realms of science, technology, engineering, and mathematics, as all combine to make your world a better place. I'm your host, Wes Sumner. This program gives you an inside look at all things STEM, hearing from experts, and relating their knowledge to our everyday lives. We're pleased to have as our guest today, Dr. Austin Fox. He's an assistant professor at the Florida Institute of Technology, and he also runs the Biogeochemistry Lab at Florida Tech. Uh, With all things ocean engineering and marine sciences, he is involved, and he specifically has been working recently with the Indian River Lagoon. And we're going to talk about the importance of the lagoon and what that means for communities across the eastern seaboard, perhaps. Dr. Fox, welcome to the show. Hi, Wes. Thank you for having me. Pleasure to be here. Tell us a bit about why the Indian River Lagoon along the east coast of Florida is is a bit unique in North America. So even though it's only half a mile to a mile wide in most places, the Indian River Lagoon extends 156 miles along the east coast of Florida from Jupiter Inlet in Palm Beach County to Ponce de Leon Inlet in Volusia County. And that creates, it, it tra- transitions between tropical and subtropical zones, creating a wide variety of habitats that leads to immense biodiversity in this region. And so when we talk about charismatic megafauna, right, the big things people like to see, it's so cool to be able to park your boat in one spot and you can see a manatee, you can see an alligator, you can see a dolphin, you can see a shark all in one place. That's pretty cool. And it's something that is sort of signature of Florida wildlife and has been for decades these sorts of bodies of water, and specifically this lagoon. Absolutely, yeah. And in terms of the animals that you just mentioned, um, let's talk about the overall health of the lagoon. What have you been finding over the last eight or so years that you've been researching it? The lagoon is sick, Mm. and this is something that's happened. We're seeing the results recently of a century-old process, right? Starting 100 years ago, we started making major changes to the hydrology and to the human infrastructure that impacts the lagoon. And it's kind of like anytime you take up a bad habit, right? You don't see the impacts of that immediately. They can develop slowly over time. And I think we're finally to a point where it's starting to catch up with us and we're having to make some some big decisions. Big decisions, particularly as it impacts wildlife, correct? Uh, we, we've seen news accounts in Florida about the, the health of the manatee population. How does that health of the lagoon connect to the manatees? So in Florida, we've seen over a thousand manatee deaths in 2021 so far. And that's an unprecedented number. And many of those have been in the, the Indian River Lagoon and its associated tributaries. And so when I say Indian River Lagoon, I'm talking about the, the Mosquito Lagoon uh, up in Volusia County, talking about the Indian River Lagoon and Banana River Lagoon. They're all connected, making up that Indian River Lagoon system. We've seen this decline in lagoon health. We've seen a decline in water quality and kind of the, the everyday observers seeing those manatee deaths. And the manatees are dying. We start to look into why that's happening. And we end up at seagrasses, right? The recent Marine Resources Council report card has shown that 90% of the seagrass habitat in the lagoon has declined over, over the years. And typically the conversation kind of stops there, right? We like to talk about the manatees dying, the seagrasses dying, but why are the seagrasses dying? Occasionally you'll get to the well, water quality is degraded, but something that's really close to my heart is the sediments are dying, right? There are bacterial communities in those sediments carrying out really important processes that help to keep the lagoon healthy. 
And we're starting to lose those services. And so that's something that we're, in my lab, we're looking at, we're studying, how can we promote those services naturally? And then if we can't promote them naturally, how can we actually create some artificial environments to promote those those processes? Because, forgive me for stating the obvious, the sediments are located at, at, under the water, right? We're talking about the bed of the lagoon, correct? Yes, absolutely. And as And as we're impacting that, I would imagine that's particularly challenging, correct, to be able to do things that that would improve that health? From my perspective, if you had to choose one thing to measure in order to measure the health of the lagoon, I'd choose dissolved oxygen. And so you've heard of the fish kills, right? And so when the fish are dying, that's because in many cases, right, there are other reasons for fish kills, but one of the things that we've seen here is the oxygen has been, in some cases, we lose, the oxygen leaves the water for a couple of days. And that's mostly due to the bacterial decomposition of the algal biomass. And so you've heard that eutrophication, it's a big word for too many nutrients coming into the system, and that's from things like fertilizer application, from things like septic tanks, from things like imperfect sewer systems. That's led to eutrophication that leads to algal blooms. And so algae, right, they're just microscopic plants living in the water, photosynthesizing, using those nutrients that people are putting on their own plants. But those nutrients, once they leave your yard, they can easily end up in the lagoon, contribute to these aqueous plants, these, these water column plants that can actually block the light from reaching seagrasses. And these algae blooms are often associated with hypoxic events or those low DO events, which is interesting because plants make oxygen, right? And so it's actually at night, plants can respire a little bit. And then once they die, the bacterial decomposition breaks them down and actually consumes a lot of oxygen. And you can think about it kind of like a compost pile, right? Once that plant matter is decaying, it uses a lot of oxygen. And if you use enough of that oxygen, you can actually start to see the fish don't have enough. We More often, you don't hear about them, but there's hypoxic or anoxic events that influence the benthic or benthic environment more often because the fish can swim away. They don't die. They don't float to the surface. You don't see it. But you can be out there and you see dead crabs, dead whelk, mm. dead benthic organisms more frequently. And so as you study the Indian River Lagoon system and as you discover uh, the, the challenges and the why behind uh, some of the issues that the lagoon system is facing, what do you see as most applicable uh, beyond the lagoon itself to other environments, perhaps in Florida? That's a good question. And I think the question gets back to why do we study these things? We know so little about these environments, right? You can, you can v- look at the science and you can say, wow, we know so much. But the more we learn, the more we learn that we don't know. And we don't know what we're losing is one reason to study this stuff. And from my perspective, I really like the science in the context of applied sciences, right? And so there's been a big push for turn dirt projects. So let's just do things that we think will work, that will make a difference and help the system. Let's not waste the time or the money to go look at what might we do that could help. And something that we've learned over the years is that a lot of these turn dirt projects or some of them, they might not work in this particular system. And so something we've looked at, there was a big push for a while to just put bubbles into the lagoon, right? We're having this oxygen problem. We can add aeration. Like an aquarium in your home. Yes, just mm-hmm. like an aquarium. Mm-hmm. It works really well in some freshwater lakes. Mm-hmm. So we put together a study, we looked at it, and it helps in some ways, right? It can mitigate those fish kills, but it didn't really have a huge impact on the sediment or the water quality over mm-hmm. time. 
And so it's probably not a place that we want to invest large amounts of money. It may be applicable in certain areas, Mm -hmm. but it's not something that's going to fix the lagoon in and of itself. And so it's kind of an interesting example of we can do a little bit of research to really target our restoration efforts and make sure we're doing these turned dirt projects that work. When we're talking about hypoxia and the lack of oxygen in the lagoon, these are problems that are being experienced globally. And so you've probably heard about the dead zone in the Gulf of Mexico, right? Every year we have the bottom goes hypoxic or anoxic and we lose the fisheries for a few months each summer. And that's been very well studied. But coastal systems, so when we get into estuaries, these shallow, well-mixed environments, we're seeing very similar processes occurring, but we have no idea the extent or duration of hypoxia in somewhere like the Indian River Lagoon. How are those sediment processes that help to remove nitrogen and phosphorus impacted by hypoxia? What's the most important thing for the average citizen to remember when they consider ecosystems like the Indian River Lagoon system and, um, and, and what that means for our daily lives? I think the thing that I want people to take away is you can make a difference, right? What you do matters. And too often do I hear people say, I'm just one person. There are a lot of you, right? And if we all make small changes, that can have a large impact on our environment. And it's not just here, right? Everywhere has these problems. This is, eutrophication is happening in coastal zones around the U.S. and around the world. And so we need people to to make changes, right? If you can not fertilize your lawn or use a more appropriate amount of fertilizer, right? That's something you can do takes teamwork, doesn't it, to be able to to accomplish goals. It well, does. Appreciate your time. We've been talking with Dr. Austin Fox, assistant professor at Florida Institute of Technology. He runs the biogeochemistry lab at Florida Tech and studies the Indian River Lagoon system extensively. Dr. Fox, thank you for your time. Thank you. That's going to do it for this edition of Today in STEM. Until next time, I'm Wes Sumner. Today in STEM is brought to you by the Florida Institute of Technology and WFIT. More information available at WFIT.org.